Mic check, mic check. What's going on? Welcome into another episode of the KZ Community Beats. As I, your host, Ross Martinez. Episode 48. We got a good one. We have our friends from Gimme Shelter 2024. This week in the hot seat, I have Jolene Whistler, the uh, resource development manager, and Christine Call, the president and CEO of Phoenix CDS. Ladies, welcome so much. Thank you for coming by. Hi, thank, thank you for you. having us. So I, in short, I was in a meeting with our other program directors here, and my friend Caleb brought you guys up, and I'm like, I've never heard of Give Me Shelter. And, you know, since moving here, I've heard there's a quote-unquote homeless problem, but we'll get into the proper education of that terminology in a little bit. But please tell me, what is Gimme Shelter 2024 and when's it happening? Well, Gimme Shelter 2024 is going to be happening on February 16th. It's a 12-hour event, so it starts at 6 p.m. on the 16th, which is a Friday, and it ends the next morning on the 17th, Saturday, at 6 a.m. So it's a 12-hour event. So that's Jolene right there. Jolene yes. Whistler. Oh, hi. Yeah. Hi. hi, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> so, Christine, why was Gimme Shelter 2024 created? Well, 2024 is this year, but it's been going for a while. How long? This is our eighth year for the event. Eight years. And um, when we started it, one, we were looking for an event that there's lots of fundraising in Peoria and there are lots of good donors coming in in Peoria. Mm -hmm. We hope for an event that was a bit more experiential. And so um, we, this was a similar event being done in other communities. We drove and, you know, checked out those events before we modeled our own. And so the idea here is for you to actually experience what people who um, are experiencing homelessness feel, you know, being out during a cold night of the year. Um, staying yeah. in a box and or in your vehicle overnight, seeing what those challenges are. Um, it's very easy to kind of just observe a problem from the side and make little comments. Um, but to actually begin experiencing it, you start creating a greater level of empathy. The other part of it is that there's a community awareness section um, that we include in this. So we have speaking topics um, that change every year. So um, one year it was on veterans homelessness. This year it's on housing stability for LGBTQ mm. um, population. So we try to get a more generalized topic um, to talk about all the different aspects of, of what homelessness looks like or acts like in our community. Now, do we see an elevated amount of people in the LGBTQ plus community that are homeless or displaced? Is this like a big number that we've seen lately? I think we are, we are seeing an increasing. We've never specifically collected data to be able to tell you what the baseline was to for an increase, mm -hmm. but we definitely have seen it, especially among the younger population. Um, one of the um, permanent supportive housing projects that we're currently building is specifically targeting the homeless youth group between 18 and 24, and there we see a preponderance of people that are LGBTQ in that age group. Do we know like reasons behind this, or is this all speculation up um, to now? A lot of it is alienation from family of origin who mm -hmm. might not be accepting of LGBTQ issue, um, but also there's a high number of youth in that age group who have aged out of the child welfare system and don't have anywhere else to go. Mm -hmm. And you just see an elevated number of LGBTQ among that group as well. Of course. Now, this past week, we've seen some record lows. It yes, was frigid outside. I saw reports across the nation that there were people who were displaced that they would find frozen yes. in the morning. Yes. So take me through some of the struggles individuals who are displaced currently, um, what they go through, what are the challenges? Sure. Um, 
I mean, obviously the challenges really are no different during cold weather, frankly, except that it's more pervasive, that it's 24 hours a day. Um, for example, there's a lot of public warming centers open, but they're not open at night. Um, mm -hmm. And so think about how cold, you know, it even dips during the night. And so a lot of it is the safety around keeping your body temperature up, keeping, you know, your skin not exposed to the elements and stuff like that. And so a lot of, you know, need to bundle up more than, you know, what we'd normally see. We're, we have a huge campaign going on right now. Um, we're running through our supplies of, you know, hand and feet warmers. I did stuff. see you were yeah. asking the so news we've been asking out. for donations around that, you know, because they, you know, once somebody puts hand warmers in, they run about four, you know, four to five hours, right? And then you've got to replace them. Mm -hmm. So if you just do the math of 24 hours a day in weather like this, how many sets do one person yeah. need, you know, to, to stay warm? It's significant. Yeah. So, you know, that's some of the key issue. Um, the other thing is that when it does get this cold, you know, is that if nothing, people who are experiencing homelessness are very resilient. So even they will find somewhere, someplace to warm up. It's so, just not always an appropriate place. Yeah, so nook, lot granny, of corner. Yeah. Things like that. And so one, that also makes it uh, harder for our outreach team to find them, you know, when they're holed up somewhere. And so um, it's harder to constantly stay engaged with the population when you see it this cold. So very concerning. Now, my question here, just from a human to human aspect, right? Uh, a lot of individuals who have been displaced, I feel, are in survivor mode. Is that an accurate assessment? What do you mean by displaced? Let me throw that back at you. Ooh, well, that's a great question because I want to ask you this. I heard there's a new terminology going around, individuals experiencing homelessness. When I was growing up, I was born in 89, a lot of the times we would just say homeless or yes. displaced. Yes. You don't have a place to stay. But there is new terminology. Can you take me through this? Yeah, the main thing is just, I think across the whole social service industry, mm -hmm. um, there's been a big move to what we call person-centered language. And so when you do person-centered language, you don't name their social issue as the noun that defines them. I know that sounds very technical. Oh, so in okay. other words, when you say, you know, that's, that person, they're part of the homeless population, you're kind of lumping them together in a way that's really just not appropriate. Instead of you say, I am a person who's experiencing oh. homelessness, just like I could be a person who experiences diabetes, or I am a person who But it's like I'm Mexican, but isn't my that's defining correct. aspect. This that's is correct. part of my characteristics. So it's just, it's, it's oh. a way of making it more person-centered approach. Now, is this something, just for you know my nerdy knowledge basis, is this something that we as a collective have come up with, or is this people who, who have gone through experiencing homelessness they're like, no, this makes me feel a little bit more accepted rather than alienated. Um, I think that as an industry, we've done a really good job of including people with lived experience. So I don't mm -hmm. know who actually coined that term, but I would, I am confident that like the consumers we serve definitely feel much more comfortable saying That's that good. it's an experience they've had as opposed to who they are. Instead of defining them That's by right. the current chapter in their life That's or the current right. page that they're on. Um, so, yeah, let's talk about how long have you two been a part of this organization for? I've been a part of the agency almost 20 years. 20 um, years? Yes. So I've been at all eight of these events that we're here to talk about. Um, Jolene's been with us about two years. So this will be her second event. Yes. When we met, were you already a part of the organization? I don't remember. I think that met. was uh, 22, maybe? Yes. Summer of 22? Yes, I was. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Oh. So, yeah. how have you seen the growth in the last couple of years since you've been involved, Jolene? Like, what have you seen in the small amount of time? Um, I know 
noticed that more, so we serve four counties. We serve um, Woodford, Tazewell, Peoria, and Fulton counties. I've noticed more awareness of our organization in the more, what I call them the bookend counties, so the more rural counties like Woodford County and Fulton County really? have heard of us more. Um, and they've been uh, participating more as well. Um, for example, uh, this morning when I talked to you, mm -hmm. I was in Woodford County over in um, Germantown Hills picking up like a ton of uh, hand warmers and they put together kits. So the uh, Willow Hill United Methodist Church over there, they collectively put together a ton of kits for us to give to our outreach team nice. to distribute throughout the community. Um, when I first came here, we weren't, we weren't going to those counties. Not that I knew. I mean, they might have been outreach here and there, but to actually have an organization like that or a church in that county come forward and say, hey, we want to help, that's where I've seen growth is, is in those areas. What so, can we accredit that to? Is it just by good marketing or just boots on the ground? It's boots on the ground and getting out there more. In my role, um, it was it was one of my goals to go out to those communities more for the simple fact of advocacy. And so they'll have brand awareness. So what so, got you involved here? Well, I had a friend of mine who uh, was friends of Chris and knew Chris and knew the agency and how wonderful it was. And and said that she thought there would be an opening, and I said, yes, I'm on that. I want I want to interview. So I interviewed with Chris, and, and you know, we talked, and eventually then thank, thankfully she hired me. <laughs> so, and I've been, I've been very proud to work for this organization. The work we do is amazing. The lives we touch, it's just, it's incredible. And mm. the stories that I've heard just from being here over the last two years, whether it's stories from our consumers as to how they were um, – experiencing homelessness and how our outreach team found them, right? Yeah. Or, or maybe coerced, no, just to, see, um, <laughs> to come with us. But no, they. I hear stories from our employees that you it would just, some of the things would blow your mind. Um, and our consumers. And then you get into to the volunteers, all the volunteers that volunteer with us every year in several capacities. And then you have the board. We have the board members. And, and knowing why they're part of the board and what drives them to continue to be on the board. It's very inspirational. Uh, some of it's very sad. It was very shocking. A lot of shock when I first started. Because I live, so I live in Tazewell County. Mm -hmm. Pekin has a a, uh, a pot, couple pockets of, of, of folks who are experiencing homelessness. I live in Pekin and I didn't even know it was there. Really? I didn't know that. And is it just so well hidden in, in the daily life, or well, is it just I, like if you're not aware, you're kind of oblivious, so respectfully? one of the main areas where where you where you're running with it. Okay, well, so, <laughs> so one of the main areas where where the, the, uh, the unhoused were located, okay, mm -hmm. was kind of in an area where it's you don't typically see it. It was it was kind of down by the river, or like a hidden bit. and away so, yeah, from so everybody. It's, it's out of sight, out of mind, and. Personally, I didn't go by like Route 29 and 8th Street. That was never a route I took often. So, and even if you took that route often, um, our consumers were, were down farther, far enough, it's kind of on an incline, that unless you drive by and mm -hmm. make a point to go out of your way to drive by, you wouldn't really know it's there. I think it goes back and, to what I was saying earlier. People who are experiencing homelessness are some of the most resilient people yes. I've ever seen. Of course. Seen. Yeah. And so, first of all, they're used to businesses running them out. They're used to law enforcement running them out. Oh, um, 
you know, and so they assume, even if they've not experienced it, they assume that that's going to happen. And so they're very good, oftentimes, too, at publicly hiding. So a lot of the encampments, you know, they'll oh, join forces yeah. for safety reasons, for mm-hmm. shared resource reasons. Um, and so a lot of the encampments might be behind a business where there's wood, the area behind them. So in other words, they're not going to be super visible from the street, but I can assure you that business owner knows they're there. And maybe any customers coming to that business know that they're there. But yes, they're, you know, um, I, in the 20 years that I've headed this organization, I continue to be amazed at how many people I still say, Peoria has a homeless problem, really? I mean, people are just astounded because it is visibly sometimes a pretty hidden problem. Um, That doesn't mean it's not a problem. We still have hundreds of people on the street every night um, experiencing homelessness. It's like when you when you're talking about this, it's a very interesting dichotomy. It's a the community has pushed certain members of our community to feel shunned. So now, after years later, they just find pockets to hide in. And how did you, Christine, get involved? Because you've been doing this for nine years now, right? No, no, longer. Well, the event for all eight events, but I've been head of the agency doing work. In the homeless field, 20 years with this agency. 20 years old. And two years with another agency. How did that get you? Um, That's a long time to be committed to a cause. Yes, it is. So, Mm. um, well, on on a personal level, and my my son might not like me sharing this, but um, (laughs) on a personal level, I have an adult son with special needs. And certainly as he approached 18, he's 33 now, you know, there were a lot of challenges about what does housing look like for an adult with special needs Um, when the safety net that's available, you know, to meet the needs of those, you know, needs are just limited. And so I really became invested in understanding the whole nature of affordable housing. And when you start understanding that homelessness is a problem about housing, you start seeing it very differently. And so it's the cost of housing um, and the skill set that people with special needs Um, need to attain to live independently, those are the biggest drivers of homelessness. And so I just felt from, you know, a personal standpoint, very compelling reasons to be a part of the solution. And I do think that that's the work that our agency does, is that we look for solutions. Um, So, for example, um, all but one of our current housing programs are permanent supportive housing. I stress the word permanent. Once somebody moves into our housing, they're done being homeless. It's over. They're it's, now a it's a commitment holder. to them. It's an, it's an end. I just solved their homelessness. Now, our mm-hmm. job then is to provide wraparound supportive services that they can choose to be a part of in order to maintain their housing. But the whole issue here is to solve the underlying issue of homelessness by addressing the housing first. Yeah. And then you wrap around services. Um, and that model certainly works. I mean, uh, you know, one of the statistics I looked at, you know, when we pulled this is, uh, 98% of the households that we have served stay in permanent housing. They do not return to homelessness. That's and good. that is measured at a six-month, a 12-month, and a 24-month interval, you know, and stuff. And so, again, when you're able to provide housing, you've eliminated the homelessness for that household or well, that yeah. person. I mean, when you think about it, my biggest uh, bill per month is my Correct. my housing fee. Correct. And it's a good chunk. Yes, it is. The affordability um, of housing is out of reach. And there's actually yeah. a national report done called Out of Reach every year that looks and it'll break it down even by geographic region. Um, certainly through COVID, you know, you also saw the whole housing market shift mm-hmm. and you saw 
the rents are up, have just skyrocketed. Yeah. Rents have outpaced even what rental subsidies yes. will help with. So we're certainly in an affordability crisis around housing, mm. and that is the number one cause of homelessness. Number Yeah, because a lot of people that I've met, I'm from Chicago, so I'm, I'm used to crazy rent prices, yes. right? I come down here, and before I get down there, I get, oh, it's very affordable, very affordable. And I get my pricing, I'm like, wait a minute, like, <laughs> <Yeah>. hold on. <laughs> Who's fibbing right now? Yeah. So that's sure. the number one leading cause. Sure. What are the other causes that lead to it? Well, there are other drivers. We don't necessarily say that they're causes. Oh, so drivers, they excuse could, me. Right. There are other issues that tend to exasperate somebody experiencing homelessness. So it could be mental illness. It could be substance abuse. It could be fleeing domestic violence, um, you know, aging out of the child welfare system. All of those are drivers. It could be a criminal background. Um, with housing market as tight as it is, people with criminal backgrounds have a very hard time getting housing. Yeah, we treat... You know, because landlords will screen them out. Yeah. Um, and stuff. And so those are all, you know, things that just exasperate when you already have um, a crisis around housing availability. And then you start adding those things, which are highly, you know, those are the most prevalent things that we see in the population of people experiencing homelessness would be mental illness, substance abuse, and criminal backgrounds. Now, Jolene, let me ask you this. Somebody that's fresh two years in, mm-hmm. did you have, respectfully, any preconceived notions that were completely changed after getting involved in two years? Like things have kind of widened your perspective on things and you yeah, get the, more. The, the housing aspect, the affordable housing. So before you were like, oh, no, things are OK. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm going to be brutally honest with you. Yeah. No, I'd rather before have that. I worked before I worked here in my mind from and from things that you see on TV or whatever. I thought that one of the main reasons for people being homeless was their addiction to drugs or alcohol. Um, And I also thought, and I'm very ashamed to say this, Mm -hmm. that they just didn't have the capacity or desire to drive to have have responsibilities as a job. And now it's completely different. Completely different. How so? Completely different. Just like Chris said, I mean, there is a huge, and people don't realize until you really get in there. Um, when you are are talking to or around or helping someone who is experiencing homelessness, there you don't know what that person is enduring. So while somebody might look like everything, you know, they're fine, they, they might have some serious mental health issues that contributes to their ability to to be able to function. I mean, some of some mental health, behavioral health issues can literally de- debilitate you from being able to even get up in the day mm-hmm. and, and shower and, and, and eat even. Look, but it's a, it's a whole host of things yes. that, you know, when you don't have a stable place, a stable and safe place to live and right. it puts your head at night, you know, everything else during the course of the day is overwhelming. Where can I eat? Where am I going to get yeah. food? Yeah. Um, where can I store my medications? If I'm on medications, and the majority of, of people are on some type of medication. So when you don't have a place to go, where are they storing that medication? So what happens is they lose their meds or their meds get stolen. And so then now they're off their meds and now they become symptomatic again. It all becomes yeah, a very, vicious very cycle. vicious cycle. Yeah. Um, but the other thing is that being homeless provokes trauma. Yeah. You know, and stuff. And so just even understanding that the the people that we are meeting already are traumatized. Right. We think of trauma um, when we think of vets, you know, but we don't understand necessarily that just simply being in survival mode and surviving your experience of being homeless 
is trauma, um, yeah, is course. traumatic. And so you have to address that, that trauma um, and stuff. And so it just it's, is overwhelming. I, you know, one of the stories that I've always told um, when we opened um, our very, we have a very large development downtown. And when we first opened that 16 years ago, I was amazed at how many residents that we moved in there who cried when they got their mailbox key, their mailbox key. Because it was a big accomplishment. That's right. They owned something. They were going to get mail somewhere. They hadn't had an address. They hadn't had an address in years. Something so insignificant to the daily person. They had nowhere for their mail to go and be delivered. So just knowing that their mail was going to be delivered to a permanent address, that, you know, if they're interfacing with Social Security or interfacing with some other kind of benefit or, frankly, a job, you know, Mm -hmm. who wants to mail you stuff? Okay, I now have an address to have stuff actually mailed to. That's powerful. How'd you feel after discovering that aspect it, of things? It, obviously, 20 years later, or 16 years after I opened that building, I'm still talking about it. Yeah. It was a very, very powerful yeah. very, moment, yeah. you know, and insightful. And so I think, you know, that's some of what Jolene is talking about, that, you know, even if you thought you had, you know, an understanding of the issues facing um, people experiencing homelessness, um Touching it every day is very, very different, you know, and stuff. And so um, seeing them get their mail, seeing them um, be able to have family members come visit them, you know, that they can actually invite somebody to come see them somewhere. Feel proud that they have something. Yes, you know, those are things that most of us literally take granted every single day. And so just seeing that, that's very humbling. Mm -hmm. That is very humbling. Um, and you know, when the cold weather set in, just the, the level of stress among our staff saying, you know, we're not going to lose somebody. We're not going to lose somebody through this cold spell. So what is it going to take? So that's when you see us pushing out stuff about get us hand warmers, get us foot warmers, you know, because our supplies were already running low and we're depleted. So just the level of, you know, passion among our staff to rise to that. What is it going to take to get through this, you know, next two or three week cold spell? Then we can regroup and, you know, go back into normal mode, you know, and stuff. But I think that's, you know, um, you have to work in the system to experience that. And I do think Jolene made a reference to volunteers. Um, I do think that that is part of what volunteers experience participating in this event that we're talking about, Mm -hmm. giving shelter. Mm -hmm. We do one of the education sessions is a panel put on by consumers. Mm -hmm. So by people who are living with us who have ended their homelessness and they share their story, you know, which is a very um, humbling thing for them to choose to do. It's very raw. It is. And so they share their story about, you know, what was their pathway into homelessness? What has been their pathway out of homelessness? You know, where does their life look today? Um, you know, it, it is a pathway. So, mm-hmm. yes, we've got them housed, but then there's still, you know, how do I stay housed and not go back into that cycle? And so they share, you know, a lot of story that night of the event that I think is very touching for people. That's when you start, you know, when I hear that story and then I go sleep in a box in cold weather roughly for 10 hours, right? Because even though it's a t- 12-hour event, you've got the OB. You wake up the next day and you you automatically have a different oh, yeah, for sure. yeah. perception of people experiencing homelessness than you did before you came. To of course. Day. A week before um, Give Me Shelter last year, I had a phone call from a dad. 
He wanted to know if it's, it's still time to sign up. I said, absolutely. He goes, well, here's the deal. I have a 10-year-old that's a little too big for his britches. And he doesn't think there's people out there uh-huh. that are, are homeless, right? I want him to learn something. So he came that night, and his little boy had his basketball, because we had the river flex, so I don't know if he thought he was going to play basketball. Right? <laughs> yeah. But he bought his basketball. He had all, like, his sleeping bags. Like, he had it all. He decked out his box, everything. When we had the panel discussion that Chris was referencing, I saw that 10-year-old boy lean over to his dad and ask him questions. And the dad was then asking those questions. So he got a better sense. He was... He wanted to know some of the things, and there were very good questions that that 10-year-old, he was afraid to ask himself, yeah. but his dad did. Now, you can't tell me that boy did not learn something. Of course. Whether you touch one person mm-hmm. or multiple, just one in general, yep. so they get it. There, there's this whole psychological aspect of it where, you know, we see it all the time. We'll see people who are displaced or uh, experiencing mm-hmm. homelessness, and yeah, now you got me people. I see both. You kind of tearing you up. You edit that out, okay? <laughs> no, it's cool. I I love the raw motion because it it proves to me a couple things. One for sure that you know you're two years in. You're still very passionate, but you're years. You've yeah. been doing this for a while, and yeah. you still get choked up. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen there's a couple of moments where I yep. saw a little water oh, yeah. work, and yep. that's amazing because that means that this is the cause you two have such a huge, heavy stake in. Like, I see it as impacting yeah. you. But the thing is, like, people don't understand that when you have people out on the street yeah. experiencing homelessness, there's a section of our community that looks at them mm-hmm. with the preconceived notions yeah. even worse than what you yeah. came in yeah. with. Well, and- you asked a question earlier. What was one of the different, you know, what do I notice now being two years in? Something that I did, and I'm ashamed to say I did, but and, and ask yourself, your listeners, ask yourself, if you see someone who's experiencing homelessness on the street, do you say hello? I didn't used to do that. Yeah. I did not used to do that. I do that now. And it's funny because this past summer I went to St. Louis with my cousins. We were getting together for the weekend, and it just came natural to me. So we're walking down in the middle of St. Louis, and I'm seeing folks who are clearly, clearly experiencing homelessness. Yeah. And I'm saying, hi, how are you? And, you know, and I had one guy approach me, wanted money. I said, I don't have any money, but why don't we go over to Subway? I can get you something to drink because it was really hot that day. Mm-hmm. And then I found myself sort of going into like this outreach mode. I'm not even in the outreach department, but I said to him, I go, I have a question for you. Are you, are you on any medicine right now? And he's like, yeah. And I said, do you know that he can make can have a detrimental effect on your meds when you're in a hot climate. Yeah. Yeah. So you need to stay hydrated. Why don't we go over? So I walked over to the subway. My cousins, they're like, where did she go? What? And so then when I met back up, and they're like, what were you doing? I said, I was helping this this guy. I was talking mm-hmm. to him. And they're like, why? I'm, I'm like, why do you think? I work in this industry. Like, I'm not just walked by somebody. And I saw my yeah. cousin do it after I said that to them. I go, why not? My cousin... One of them, because she was right by me, she then started, hi, how are you, hi. So, I mean. It's contagious. It's yeah. same Well, role. and when I started doing this work, too, one of the very first things that I did not, had not previously heard this story from Jolene. Um, uh-huh. But one of the very first things that I heard from consumers was their biggest issue in experiencing homelessness was feeling invisible. Yes. And so a simple hello does mean somebody saw me, somebody acknowledged me. In that moment, I was mm-hmm. not invisible, and so that's very that hello is that's very, tough when you very think about human that human to human connection, 
um, that's very dignifying. Yeah. Very dignifying. It's tough when you think about it because as a human being, we look for comfort, mm-hmm. we look for love, we look for support. And when you start alienating members of our community, who that's that's going to keep them going for a couple of little extra days. Yes. It's just that hello, yeah. that someone saw them. Like it's 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 intense to think that some people in our community can sit on a corner and nobody talk to them. Yes. I'll be out walking my dog. I'll say hi to everybody. Yes. You know, I think some people feel, oh, if I say hi, they're going to come ask me for things. Well, it's better to be asked than to just suffer in silence. Yes. yes. Like, you may be suffering right now because you don't make a decent check, but they are on the ground right now. That's correct. Fuel humility. Well, and we do get a question a lot about, like in Jolene's example, with, you know, somebody solicits for money and, mm-hmm. like, all the panhandling. That is one of the very visible aspects of people experiencing homelessness in our community is that there are some corners in Peoria that everybody knows are kind of known for their panhandling. You know, and and so a lot of people will say, you know, I don't want to donate or give the person money because what if they go spend it on drugs and alcohol? And, you know, two things is that I'd rather not give money. I'd rather do what Jolene did and take somebody to get them food, get them a beverage or a hot beverage. That's always my preference and go-to. But I will never forget um, our program manager who runs the outreach team, you know, very, very pointedly at last year's Gimme Shelter saying, you know, yes, that is maybe how they're going to spend the money that you give them. But you know what? You just improve the, the quality of their life right then and there for the, just that moment. Um, and so how do you judge that? You know, I mean, yeah. um, you know, that is better than the person dying, you know, plain and simple. So I think. That's you very know, raw and truthful that yes. that is the fact. Yes. It is better than somebody dying. Um, three questions before we end, because you have yes. one more to get to. One, you had brought up Pekin, and I know this is the first mm-hmm. year you guys are expanding out towards Pekin. Mm-hmm. That we're doing a doing this event in Pekin. In right? Pekin. So yes, talk to me about that. we have these four counties for years. So yeah. go ahead. So this is that we thought we're gonna we're gonna take a take a shot at Pekin. Um, they're one of you know Tazewell County is the area we serve, and Pekin unfortunately their numbers are increasing. Our outreach used to go there once a week, now they go there twice a week. So we thought we're gonna engage that community. So we're having Gimme Shelter at Miller Center. Um, so we're doing both cities simultaneously, right? Mm-hmm. Peoria and Pekin at the, the exact same time. Oh, so, same day, same time. Same day, same yes. time, same Beautiful. everything. So we're hoping people will participate in Gimme Shelter at the Miller Center. Nice. And I see on, on the website we're 30% funds raised already. we got yes. some funds yeah. going. Yes. Um, if anybody would like to send funds or participate, please tell us a little bit more of where we could get the information. Sure. So they can go to our website. Um, they can go to our Facebook page. We've got a link. I do several posts throughout the week where I always post a link as to where they can. And it's the same link if you want to uh, register as a participant, if you want to donate or even be a sponsor. It's all at the same link. You can do all three things from there. Um, and what, what is the link again? Because I just typed in Give Me Shelter Peoria 2024 is the first one that popped up. Okay, so, okay, so it's through QGive, but our website is phoenixcds.org. Okay, so beautiful. you can go there and there's a link from the our, our um, website to get to the Give Me Shelter event. Beautiful. Yeah. And what is the days and times again for the event? Yeah, so it's going to be Feb- Friday, February 16th at 6 p.m. And it runs through the next morning 
Friday, uh, Saturday, the 17th of February at 6 a.m. And we, we wake up everybody up at about quarter after five, and we have a hot, delicious breakfast nice. available catered in through barracks. So that's always a treat, really. After you've been in the cold all night, that mm-hmm. is a treat. Yeah, that's a ne- free meal yeah. in the morning. <laughs> it's never tasted so good. Oh. Tell you. <laughs> it's never tasted so good. So this podcast uh, that we created here at KZ, The Community Beat, it's, it's used as a human library, a collection of stories, perspectives. We all share a community. We all drive and walk on the same streets, but we all have very different shared experiences. But the biggest thing about these shared experiences are we all have different whys. Mm-hmm. So everybody I talk to, I like to ask, what is your why? Why do you keep pushing forward? Let's start with our uh, present CEO. Well, you know, just fundamentally, I believe that housing is a human right. Um, Everybody deserves to be housed in a safe way. And so that is just what keeps me connected and grounded in our mission all the time, is that um, nobody should have to wait until they, quote, deserve housing, right? I mean, housing is simply a right, Mm -hmm. and that's what keeps me coming back. Well, when you look at the snapshot of those that we've served, in 2021, we ended homelessness for 520 people among four counties. In 2022, people? we ended homelessness for 485 people. And last year in 2023, we ended homelessness for 430 people. Now, you do the math, Ross. You do the math. I can't do I don't math. know if any, well, it's a well over a thousand. <laughs> yeah. So if, if, I just don't know of any other organization that can literally end homelessness for that many people in in an area like we're in which ranges from a metropolitan i mean peoria it's metropolitan as it is yeah. i mean it's small to a rural area like your woodford counties or your tazewell counties and fulton i mean huh. that's an incredible those are incredible numbers and that right there shows you the hard work each and every staff member board member volunteer puts in and that yeah. that those numbers reflect passion now well, i said last question but since you said that are those numbers almost bittersweet in a way? Like it's bittersweet. Like, like uh, it's amazing you've helped so many okay, people you out. Know what? Everybody but, in social services yeah. says we're doing this job, hopefully, to put ourselves out of a job. Yeah. You know, and so, yes, we do aspire to truly end homelessness. Um, the chances of that happening in any of our lifetime is pretty limited. So, in, from that perspective, no, it's not bittersweet. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like everybody that we can house. We should be, you know, singing from the rafters, ringing a, you know, cowbell, whatever it is, and celebrating that moment for that person. It's a silver lining that yes. you're still yeah. doing good. No matter that's that there's correct. still people that need assistance, you're still there to help. Correct. No matter what, 20 years down, three years down, you're still there helping members of our community out. So Give Me Shelter 2024 happening in Peoria and Pekin again February 16th. February 16th. For more information, you can go to... PhoenixCDS.org. All right. It's been another episode of the KZ Community Beat, episode 48, with my friends from Phoenix CDS. We have Jolene Whistler, the uh, resource development manager, and Christine Call, the president and CEO over there. Ladies, thank you so much. We'll be posting the links, everything. Yeah. Anything last minute you want to say? Participate! 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 (laughs) Go back, listen to all the other episodes, or we will come and yell at you in front of your office. Good enough? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. I'm all for standing out publicly and yelling. I'm all for that. Same. You asked some great questions. So thank you. Thank you, you, Ross, for your...